feels like just yesterday that I was sitting down to record the intro to the first episode of the Nature of My Game podcast, and I can't believe that we've reached the end of season one. It's been so great getting to share this story with you, and each time I hear from someone who has listened, it really just brings me so much joy. After today, we'll be taking one week off before kicking off our second season. Season two will be a new game, a new cast, and a new story, but I'm sure that you'll be just as intrigued by what we have in store for you over the coming months. And who knows, there might be more tying the seasons together than you might expect. As for Donald, Francis, and Monty, their story doesn't end here. We'll be hearing from them again in a future season, assuming they survive. Thank you again so much for listening, and if you've enjoyed the first season, please take a moment to write us a review on Apple Podcasts, and share the podcast with friends or on social media. Anything you can do to help us spread the word is incredibly appreciated. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the final chapter of For Those About to Rock. Previously on the Nature of My Game podcast. I think Donald uh, wants to cut his arm off. So he's not thinking clearly. Like, it's not a good idea. Don't, uh, kids, listen at home. Don't do this. Monty grabs the sides of Donald's head and pushes him against the wall and says, now it's your turn to stop. I'll drop the gun next to her and say, we helped you, brother, and I'll walk out. Was it gothic literature? Where there was something where gargoyles had to we get frozen again at sunup, or is that gargoyles on Disney Afternoon? <laughs> You're ruining my plan! I think if one person goes to his home, that's one person against a demonic gargoyle crystal creature. That person's not coming back out. None of us are getting back out of this. There's not much that matters in this life, but I tell you this, the two of you matter to me which is more than I can say than uh, about anything else in this forsaken world. I think if we can do, have any effect, any, any effect at all on this thing, we have to, we have to give it our best shot. <laughs> eventually, and he like holds his hand up, eventually I will destroy the demon and use its blood and bone to create a gateway in this world that allows humankind back into Eden. As soon as he says blissful eternity, uh, Donald pulls the trigger of the gun. Paris, 1895. Angela Lantier could hear the man's words echoing over and over in her head. We helped your brother, he had said, as he dropped a gun at her feet. We helped your brother, he said, moments after shooting Noah and killing him as she watched. Anja didn't know a lot, young as she was, but she was sure of one thing. That man had not helped her brother. He was a murderer. Anja was barely paying attention to where she was going, but she knew the back streets of her Paris neighborhood like the back of her hand, and without knowing exactly how, she found that she had reached her destination. The square outside Notre Dame Cathedral was totally empty, exactly how she hoped she'd find it. It was the middle of the night, but Anja's eyes had long since adjusted, and she could see just fine. Anyways, she knew what she was looking for. She thought back to the other thing that man, that murderer, had said to her. If you see the inkwell on the ground near Notre Dame, I want you to kick it in the river for me. Anja would make sure that she found that inkwell, but what she did after that, well she might not be so compliant. It took her only a few minutes to find the inkwell. It had cracked from impact with the ground, and much of the ink had splashed on the ground. It wasn't alone, though. There was a quill sitting alongside it, weighed down by a leather-bound journal. Anja reached down and picked up the journal, letting the quill flutter off as the wind gusted for just a moment. She flipped through the pages, but it didn't much matter. She couldn't read French, let alone English. She was just about to pocket the journal and leave when she heard a voice behind her. What have you got there, little girl? She turned and saw a man wearing a mask, who seemed to have appeared from nowhere. A few hours ago, Anja would have been terrified by this man, but after what had happened to Noah, she didn't think she had much fear left in her. As the man moved closer, Anja was overwhelmed by a scent that she couldn't place, but it both revolted and intrigued her. It smelled like flowers, but so much worse. He reached out his hand, holding it open, and said, Let me see that, please. 
Anja hesitated only a moment before handing over the journal to the man. He took it and flipped open to the front cover, and though he spoke in just a whisper, Anja heard him as clearly as if he had been shouting. Ah yes, just as I thought. This belongs to a friend of mine. It's a it's a long-standing tradition in role-playing games that people get super attached to their characters, um, and I, I do think that role-playing games like this one, like we talked a little bit about before, is kind of push back on that uh, getting too attached to your characters. And as we enter what I think will be the last episode of this story, I think there's a real risk of of, of characters dying. And we talked a little bit before about. Um, you know, what you think your characters would believe is a good outcome here. Um, but separate from that, what do you hope for for your characters in their lives? Um, you know, not what you think will happen, not what you not what you think should happen, not what you think would tell the best story, but just like from a, you know, if you've connected at all with these characters that you've played, like, what do you hope for them in life? in their lives, what would be, what would be like a happy outcome for them? Do you think? I mean, for, 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 for Donald, I mean, it's hard to say without kind of divulging parts of the story that, um, but I think that just the answers, I think that for him, I would really love if he could get an answer to one very specific question that, that has been the, the thing that has troubled him more than anything ever has. And I think that just the answer to that would go such a long way in making him be able to move forward with his life. And that answer coming to him would be would be something I would appreciate. And so you think for that, it's it, not even a particular outcome, not even a particular answer, but just any answer, something yep. something solid that he could that he could um, hold on to with that. So you can start the process of, of under, still like rectifying and understanding it. It exists right. in this like world of mystery. Right. I think Monty still has a lot of growing to do as a person. Um, and I, I think he needs to just get a little older, get more, more life experience than he currently has under his belt um, and get a little wiser um, and get closer to the kind of wisdom and knowledge that he currently thinks he has in 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 reality, um, and I think that I, I I think for him to be happy, ultimately he would have to go through some just some kind of general changes about the way he goes through the world and thinks about it, um, and so I could see that change happening naturally. Just again, as he gets older, um, experiences uh, you know additional things, whatever. But I could also see, however, this wraps up. I mean, maybe he maybe he dies, but I could see this being the impetus for some degree of change in the way he perceives the world and the people in it. Um, and I think if he follows that change and pursues it then I could see him just kind of becoming naturally a more content person and a happier person with life in general. Yeah, I, I'm so stuck, um, I think, on, on this element of Francis where, like, spooky macabre stuff gave her joy and... I don't think it will give her joy again. And I I don't see that being a part of her ability to access joy again. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, I think what would, what would be good, a, a good outcome in a lot of ways for her would just be 
I don't know. Like, I, I feel like she's she's going to come out of here with an inclination to shutting down that kind of any fanciful interpretation of life. And I feel like it would be really nice with time if she could find another avenue to to that and not be trapped inside a box of of yeah like just a, a joyless box of nope this that's not what's going to happen what's going to happen is going to be terrible like i think she's kind of shifting more towards these these viewpoints of donald and monty in ways that would not be good for her um so i think her happiness is gonna have to be finding a way to like avoid that <laughs> in whatever way that looks like it's so interesting because she has these two companions who mm-hmm. kind of have that mindset and, you know, I'm guessing that she serves as kind of a touch point for both of them to see someone who is experiencing joy in a way that they never would. Mm. And so I think they would probably also push back on her taking on some of those characteristics that they both have, especially as they are both experiencing things that are pushing back on that themselves. Mm Mm-hmm. No, I feel like we all started out along paths that, like, (laughs) don't end well in in these various ways, and I feel like finding a new path is going to be the the trick to it. For sure, that would deeply negatively affect Monty if that's... Mm what ended up kind of happening with Francis if she kind of like lost the joy from that gothic like mm. that kind of source of joy I think that would be he would yeah. take that hard too um, but hot take maybe Francis leans all the way into finding the joy and becomes the demon's new master yeah, <laughs> yeah what else Spoiler! <laughs> well, I for one hope that these three characters survive long enough to find uh, out how they handle this uh, kind of inciting incident in their lives that, that puts them down whatever path it leads them down. I, I just want to see them go down that path. So. I know, I would like them a path. <laughs> mm-hmm. Rather than a cliff. <laughs> All right, so when we last left our characters, uh, they had just killed Baptiste Cabot in the middle of the street after chasing him down and then returned to Notre Dame to look through his bag. They found tools that one might use to restore or refurbish the ironwork. They found a piece of ironwork, not ironwork, but a, a piece to replace the existing ironwork that seems to have been made of the bone, the bones of this creature that Cabot was keeping, is keeping in his apartment, this demon. And a jar of what can only be blood. I mean, I think that they, there would be almost no discussion. There would be, mm. we, we would just go. I mean, at this point, I don't think we, there's mm-hmm. anything to really talk mm-hmm. about. We're probably just, we have a jar of blood now, whatever. Yeah. We're going to the, <laughs> like, we're going to the, the frog. We have to find the source. And I think better to take it with us. Like yeah. mm-hmm. we just have this new fun bag of of demon bone and blood and it's it's yeah because they you know better with it's us obviously demon blood because that's, <sighs> he was talking about building the the doorway with blood and bone. So why don't we should keep them together? It's amazing that 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 at this point, I mean, even even twelve hours before this would have been the most one of the most <laughs> horrifying things that any of you yeah. had ever seen. And now it's just like, oh, yep, exactly what we expected. Really been through the ringer. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Just like we thought. Blood and bone. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta go find a demon now. Um, before we go, just, I'm just curious. I'm I'm assuming the answer is no, but we know that Father Sicard liked to be above this door and looking down. Um, as we go through the bag, if we look up, can we see him there? Uh, yeah, if you if you look up, you you see that he is standing among the gargoyles, just looking out at you, watching. He gives you a nod uh, as he as he sees you look up. Donald, I, I think your friend's up there. And I would look up at him, and I would just. Just kind of give him like a, I did it. They nod. <laughs> All right. 
So you you leave the plaza and you head toward uh, the left bank um, where you know this cafe and apartment to be. And when you arrive outside La Grenouille, I think especially for Donald and Francis, it gives you chills a little bit to see this exact location that you saw in a vision. You've never been here before, but it's exactly like it was in your mind's eye when you had that vision. Is the the yellow dripping? Is that there? No yellow goo, no. Just a normal window. But you, you're able to, you know, you, you look up there and, you know, you, you know which apartment is the right one because you know instinctively from the vision uh, which floor it's on, where it is. Um, so you have no trouble identifying the correct apartment, even though you haven't been given that information and you've never been here before. And so you head inside and... This apartment complex is in even worse shape than Calvin Leith's. Cockroaches scuttle in the grimy building's corners, zigzagging under your shoes as you walk. Layers of dust cover the apartment's first few floors. Francis, as you walk up the stairs, you you're looking at some of the some of the other apartments, the doors to the other apartments, just some of you're just kind of taking in the whole scene. And your intuition tells you that it seems like most, if not all, of the tenants of the apartment building have moved out. It doesn't really mm. seem like there's anyone living here. Uh, there's still mail on the ground, um, and so it probably happened recently. Um, and it seems like, you know, if, if Cabot is living here, he may have the entire building to himself, and he may even have been the reason that all of these people left. I can, I can see that happening. Lovely man. And so you get up to the floor where you know Cabo's apartment is, and the apartment is unlocked, but there are wooden bars placed in front of the door on the outside, as if he, of course, was more concerned about keeping something in than keeping something out. Well, friends, do we have a plan? Are we just going in for the attack. I don't know if this thing is even capable of anything beyond trying to attack us. I think we pry these bars off and go in, confront whatever is there, dispatch it if we can, and if there is more to learn about all of this, wonderful. If there is not, then we put it to bed. I mean, I, I take some amount of comfort in the fact that, based on what Donald and I have seen, things aren't that bad yet. We may not be too late. I have to imagine it'll hear us prying the doors. So I, I have to assume our best plan of action, Monty, is as soon as that door opens, pull the trigger. Don't wait to see anything. Just fire. So it's not so much it's not so much nailed as it is just kind of slid across. Okay, so he wouldn't hear us. Ah, so it won't be difficult for us to Um so that he so that so that he could come in and out, but that he would that, okay. that ah, anyone trying to come out when he wasn't there wouldn't okay. be able to. Okay. And yes, um uh Francis, if you don't mind assisting me getting these bars out of the way. Absolutely. We'll move them back, and I will let you handle the final bar so that I can stand back with my pistol, and uh, okay. Don has his. Frances will put her hands on it, ready to go. She's going to look and check to make sure the boys are ready. We have our guns drawn. All right, she'll... Actually, she'll take it, and this is heftier than her walking stick. She will hold on to it. <laughs> okay. So you open the door... And the first thing that you, uh, the, the, the first uh, sense that is uh, triggered in you is smell. There's a horrible rotting stench that just wafts over you as soon as you open the door. You don't see anything move. 
Yeah, I would imagine the smell would get us so fast that we probably wouldn't even start shooting. Like it would probably not. You, you're you're yeah. like immediately overwhelmed by this yeah, scent, yeah. and you're if like you got, if you got hit with that, yeah, you don't, you can't, yeah, kind of nose in the sleeve, like just <laughs> <laughs> trying to. <clears throat> <clears throat> there must be something dead in there. <clears throat> Long dead, perhaps. <clears throat> or it might just be what that thing smells like. Possible. I suppose it's time for us to head in. I think we have to. And so you make your way in, and there are a couple of candles on the walls still lit. And as soon as you walk in, you see that rotting food covers all of the surfaces in the apartment, infested with flies and maggots. You step and you hear bones crunching underfoot. You look down and there are still bits of flesh that cling to the bones. What blood from whatever this these bones and flesh are that didn't spill on the floor is collected in open jars around the apartment, just sitting there and putrefying. And some of it, in fact, is smeared on the walls as if Cabot tried to use the blood and that same black stone to paint a strange landscape on the wall. You see handprints that have painted a lake of blood beneath black, glittering stars. That looks... Black stars on a white sky. That's that's what Calvin Leith was saying. That's what that... Whatever that thing under the bridge was saying black stars on a white sky I think it's everyone (laughs) I mean honestly we should be impressed everyone is using their artistic talents whatever they have to depict this terrible Eden it is not the art I came here to study no no this is a bit primitive um are there other, um, is this, a, this is a single room apartment or are there other doors off of it? So you look around and kind of off in the back, there seems to be another closed door, like it might be a bedroom. Possible that whatever we're looking for may be in there. I think possible, uh, perhaps probable. And as you're discussing, you hear a shuffling sound, then an awful grating sound like stones sliding across the ground and the door opens up and a human-sized creature stumbles into the doorway a gargoyle-like creature made of shiny obsidian-like black stone and dragging frayed rope tethers behind it it's missing an arm and chunks of flesh along its back and face part of its cheek is missing leaving the inside of its mouth visible with glinting black fangs Its healthy skin is smooth, black, and shiny, reflecting light and ripples. You can even see your own reflection in its skin, your faces warping and distorting as you look at them. And as you stare, transfixed, it notices you. And far swifter than you would have expected, lunges at you, reaching out with sharp talons and dragging its mangled body across the ground. And so we are... In combat, once more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this, this as, as I'm sure you all know, this is the, the final battle here. So uh, feel free to describe as things happen uh, as, as grandly as you would like to. Um, but let's start by talking about what is your group objective? <laughs> to kill. Let's kill it. Let's kill it. Let's kill it. Train. It's been going so yeah. well for us. I'm sorry, Eric. Can you run through all the possible <laughs> objectives again in case? We... Yeah, just what can we? What can we negotiate? I would like to topple. I wanted yeah. to go out the window. Yeah. We do know there is a window. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. All right. So, uh, so group objective is is to is to kill. Um, what spend fighting spend are you all using? Here. I only have one left. I got my one. <laughs> um, boy, uh, I don't think. Yeah, no, I'm fried. I'm out of fighting. St- or no, 
Do I have... I think I have four. Uh, yeah, I don't think you've used much, because you've only been in the one fight and you used one. Yeah, so four. I have four. I'm dumping them all in. <laughs> all right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm actually going to make the choice for uh, for some some level of dramatic effect here. Um, so it, it, it gives me the option in the rulebook to either have either go in ascending or descending order of spend. And so I'm going to go in um, ascending order of spend and start with our with our ones. Um, so uh, Monty, let's start with you. What do you attempt to do as this creature lunges out at you? With its with its sharp talons and its fangs. I mean, I attempt to do exactly what I planned to do from the beginning, which is raise my pistol and fire at it, and I try to aim right for its head, eyes, area. Okay, go ahead and make the roll with a plus one, right? Mm-hmm. That's a total of a three. All right. So you. You fire out at this thing, um, and the the bullet flies off. It moves quickly and shifts to one side as it lunges out at you, and it ricochets off a couple of walls and flies and crashes open one of the windows in the apartment. And how do you react once you once you fire this off and you uh, you realize that you haven't um, that you haven't hit? What do you do? Shit. And I back up, um, because my plan is to continue firing if I can before, you know, I get destroyed by this thing. And so you start, you start to kind of stumble backwards, and again, it moves with a swiftness that you didn't expect. And it lunges at you and takes a bite right in your chest. Mm. And it just rips off some of the like some of the the cloth from your clothes and sinks into your chest um, and you are going to take the same uh, my car bite card I'm not gonna put it in there for now but you'll take the same my okay. car bite card that um, that Donald took before Francis uh, I mean in the in the split moment when it's it's got its jaws on my friend I'm just gonna try to wallop it with my with my probably not a two by four but whatever this this blunt object I have in my hand is mm-hmm all right go ahead and make your fighting roll why couldn't I be a ninja why <laughs> why, why are we art students <laughs> we're not trained okay I have a I got my one plus one on this let's see I rolled a five that's a six. All right, so that is that is a success. Um, so you uh, you don't take any wounds, and uh, you know you you get a you get a bit of upper hand here. So tell me what you do with this two by four Oof. as it's biting into Francis, or sorry, biting into Monty. I'm I'm trying to to decide like is it is it possible that I could be hitting it at such an angle that like it's going to fly back. And and bias bias time and space again. Yeah, absolutely. So you go ahead. Yeah, far away from like I, I don't want its claws. I don't want its jaws anywhere near us. Um, so I'm gonna I I'm just gonna she's gonna lift up her her stick. I don't know what to call it. Um, and she's gonna just raise it and and hit as hard as she can. And she wishes she had something cool to say. Um, but has absolutely nothing and just grunts with all of the anger that she has in her and she, she sends it back. You smack it over the head and you, you, you know, it's not really the, it's not really the force of your blow because this creature is so strong, but it, it gets hit in the head and kind of dazes it to the point that it kind of, it releases its, its bite hold on Monty and starts to kind of fall back into the wall, which gives Donald a clear line to take a shot at this creature. And I think that what I want to do is, you said, where where were the unhealthy bits of flesh? Where was he not all (laughs) shiny and black? 
Well, so yeah, so he he's missing an arm, and he also has a cheek ripped out. Um, but then also on its back and its face, it has other parts that have been like scratched away or uh, that are missing. So I think I would aim for maybe I guess the cheek, like the hole in the cheek. Try to shoot like in whatever beyond this like shell of his. Mm. Cool. So I think that I line up my shot to go there plus four. A five. <gasps> so nine. So Francis has smacked this thing and it kind of falls back up against the wall and it sees Francis holding this piece of wood and it like it like bends down in a crouch as you like often see gargoyles um, depicted. It's like bending in a crouch almost as if it's about to take off and fly and it jumps and leaps at Francis. And just in time, Donald levels the gun and pulls the trigger, and he goes right through that open spot in the cheek and makes this creature's head explode as it falls backwards. And so Monty got a minus three on his check. Francis got a zero, and Donald got a plus three. Actually, you actually got a plus three extended, but it, it, it reduces to three. But that is exactly a zero margin, which means that you have killed this creature. Um, and I hate to be a celebratory killjoy. Does um, does Donald still have the micar bite? So go ahead and make me a roll, Donald. No, 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 no. Oh god. A six. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you that I had made the decision after you had cut out the wound and used the salve that you would not explode on an odd number, but you have survived it anyway. Um, and so, yeah, so this, this creature's head explodes and the, the, the blood and flesh of it kind of mix with all of the other blood and flesh that is already covering all of the surfaces in this apartment. Um, Don or Monty, you have this bleeding wound in your chest that's crystallizing. I'm on the ground and I'm. Don, do you still have the? Do you have any more of the? I do, I do, I do. And so I just get down and I, I start to dump it onto him and like rub it onto him. Can we? Should we? Should I? Do you want me to try to get it out, Monty? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever we need to do. So I get that old hunting knife, I guess, again. Now <laughs> near his heart. I don't know how smart this is. <laughs> and I have a zero first aid. I'd like to point that out. Is Monty able to help? I know. I don't know. Well, yeah. So, so uh, Monty, do you have one first aid? Is that right? Oh, I actually need to look. Hold on. First aid. I do have a one. I have a one first aid. Yes. If there's anything I can do to help as well, like, I don't know if... Can I spe- spend the one to assist in some way? Or? Yeah, you you and he can cooperate on this. Um, so you, you each can roll and you'll add... Um, actually, no, sorry. So so I, I think we'll, we'll say that um, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. So whichever one of you wants to roll, I guess, I guess if you're... If, if, uh, if Donald is doing it, but Monty is is helping, you can spend your one and add one to the roll. That's fine. I'll spend my point, and you can you can roll for. I one. think you should. I mean, I just had two really good, really good, lucky <laughs> rolls. Like I really think you should roll your own. You got to roll your own Iron Man arc reactor thing here. Yep. Francis is gonna hold his hand. It's four. Four plus one is five. So you, so Donald runs over and applies what's left of the salve on this wound, and it, it you know, you, you actually saw it slowly spreading as you were looking down at it, and you rub the salve on it, and it stops spreading. And then, um, I think what happens is Donald hands the knife over to Monty, and Monty just carves that spot out, and you've got this big open wound, um... But the rest of your the, your your two your two friends are able to kind of staunch the bleeding of that, mm. and you think you got it all. 
You think you got it all. You, I mean, you're gonna be in a, you're gonna be in a lot of pain for a long time because of this horrible wound that you have, but you don't see any more of the rock. I'm alive and uninfected. That is all that matters. Did we do it? Is this it? Is there anything else here? Should you do you two want to check that yeah, room? Yeah, I'm quite able-bodied. Uh, uh, compared to these two, Francis can get up and and try to look and see if there's anything else of note in here. Yeah, you you go back into the back room, and it, it seems like this is where he was keeping this creature. There are more bones scattered all over the place, and you see where the creature was tied up, and it seems to have ripped itself free from the the ropes that were tethering it and walked out the door. Um, But, you know, the bag that you were carrying was the most recent um, creation that Cabot had made, and so there aren't other pieces of of fake ironwork anywhere. Um, And other than the horrifying state of the apartment, you don't see anything that you think you need to destroy. Gentlemen, I don't know that there's anything here, but I don't know that what's here needs to continue to exist. Monty, how would you feel about burning something else? All in favor. All in favor of it. Nah, you get no... no protestation from me. A shame. A shame for Mr. Cabo's apartment to have burned. Hmm. After he was found murdered by that gang of ruffians. What an unfortunate coincidence. So it went. If you don't mind helping me out of this, uh, out of this place. Yep. Can I take the, one of the, the candles from the wall? And I think I still have that sheaf of the papers that we took from Calvin's. Can I light those and use it to start? Yes. You start a fire and it starts to slowly spread around the flammable parts of the apartment. And the three of you, slowly, carefully, kind of helping Monty make his way down the stairs and out of the apartment. And you get on the street and just kind of look up as you see the flames start to lick the apartment through the window that in your vision you saw the gargoyle and you saw the yellow goo dripping down and you don't see any yellow goo you don't see a gargoyle all you see is flames and so that is where we will leave things and to finish off i would just love to hear from each of you where do you go from here it doesn't have to be what you immediately do after this moment but over the next few days over the next week or so what happens to each of you? I think Donald goes almost right to Father Sakar. Like he goes, you know, because he told him to. He goes to tell him, first of all, that it's done, that everyone's dead, the gargoyle's dead. And now Father Sakar told him that he had answers for him, so he wants to talk to him. My son, I could tell from the moment I met you that there were things going on in your mind that were troubling you that would trouble anyway but I can't help unless you tell me what it is that what is it that haunts you my son father have you ever have you ever known anyone to just vanish disappear this is with no no acknowledgement that they ever existed before. I I had I had a sister, Father. I had her for my entire life. From the moment she was born. I took care of her. I say I had a sister. Because According to everyone I've I've spoken to in the past two years, I never did. 
I, I, I walked out of my home with an understanding of the world and an understanding of what I was to do and where I fit and how it all fit together. And I walked back into a nightmare that I haven't stopped having. And I feel no peace knowing that I, demon is dead, evil is not coming to Notre Dame. I, I, I feel no satisfaction. I, I, I swear, Father, I, I swear I had a sister. Donald, if I may call you Donald, a year ago, perhaps even six months ago, I would have listened to you. I would have given you some words of comfort, perhaps some words of wisdom, but I wouldn't have believed you. Today, after what I have seen, after what you, I know, have seen and done. I will help you find your sister. I believe you, and I will help you find her. It may not happen today, it may not happen tomorrow, but I will help you. And so, that scene fades out. What happens for Francis? Francis is racked by guilt she she watched her two friends be ripped into pieces be attacked be clinging to sanity with everything they had in them to cling on and she can only think that she should have been able to do more to help them she should have been more prepared. She should have been more ready to put herself in front of them and and protected them somehow. And I think she at the same time doesn't doesn't want to be near them. Like I think she doesn't know what to do. All she wants to do is go home to her Aunt Helen's and not have shadows around. She wants light all the time and she doesn't she doesn't want to think about any of this and she doesn't know what to do with any of this except that like she's stuck in that place of yeah, kind of similar in some ways to what Donald didn't find that sense of, of victory she doesn't have that either. All right, and we leave Francis there. What's happening for Monty? Monty, um, for the first couple of days, uh, is spends most of his time recovering from this horrible wound that he has received. He is in bed for most of the first probably two weeks or so um, after this has happened. Uh, and he spends a good bit of time drinking while he is, while he is in bed and while he is trying to recover. Um, it's one of the only things he knows to do to dull the pain, physical and mental and emotional. Um, but I think towards the end of this two week span, as he is starting to get a little mo movement back, etc., um, he would go to Francis at some point. Uh, Francis... I um I know we went through a lot of we went through a very difficult day, I suppose. You, you could say that. Um I know you've been trying to to be off on your own for a while, but you're literally the only person um that I know to turn to for for assistance with something. Um I, um, I won't be writing anymore. Monty, what do you mean? I, 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 I can't, I can't engage in it. I, um, 
you know, you know what I saw on those pages that that we found in that apartment. Yes. I can't allow that to happen again. Um, so I'm asking you, <laughs> as ridiculous as it may sound, how do you how do you hold a paintbrush? You know, it's not that different from a pen. If you have the time and inclination, even just a little, I, I would I would be happy to learn. I wish I could have. Well, I, I, I wish I could tell you now that the things that we saw we won't see again. But I don't think either of us believe that anymore. And I think the danger of painting is that. Sometimes you paint what's in your head, and that isn't always a nice place. But I think if we work on it together, we'll keep each other in check. I have one last question for you. Um, paint. It doesn't tend to get everywhere, does it? You'd be surprised. And that is where our story, or at least this part of our story, will come to a close. Epilogue. Paris. Five weeks later. Father Alex Sicard was sitting in his office at the Cathedral of Notre Dame, unsure whether he was prepared to open the letter that sat in front of him on his desk. He knew who it was from, and he knew what it concerned. He just wasn't sure he was prepared to know what it contained. He delayed for a moment, pulling out a rosary from his pocket and saying a decade by instinct, barely thinking about the words he was saying. Pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death, he said, over and over again until he completed the decade and returned the rosary to his pocket. It was time. He reached for his paper knife and slid it under the wax affixed to the back of the letter, which had been stamped with the seal of a diocese from across the ocean in America. He had a friend there, a fellow clergyman who he knew he could trust, and he had reached out a few weeks earlier. He took a deep breath before unfolding the letter and beginning to read. Dearest Alex, It is lovely to hear from you, and I am glad to hear that you are well. I hope to travel to Paris to visit you in the coming year, but as you know, there is always more to do for a local parish priest and less time for rest and relaxation. The young boy you reached out about is quite a troubling tale indeed. His family have long been members of our local congregation, and generous supporters, I will also add. Nearly two years ago, I heard from a few of the others in the parish that young Donald had suffered a mental break. He had rushed from his home one morning, screaming about a sister that had gone missing. He ran all the way to town, and it took more than a few of the locals to calm him down and convince him to lower his voice. The trouble is, Donald had no sister, and had never had one. Anytime anyone reminded him of this, he just stared at them, unable to comprehend. I even spoke with him myself once, and this mysterious sister wasn't the only concerning thing he seemed to believe. He babbled on about a strange ritual he had witnessed, men and women dancing and wearing masks, and other things I dare not put down on paper. He was convinced that his parents had been a part of it, and that they were hiding his sister somewhere. Like I said, it was clear that his sanity had left him. He fled shortly thereafter before anyone was able to get him any help. Have you heard from young Donald? I'm sure his parents would like word of his whereabouts. He is likely a danger to himself and others. I look forward to hearing from you, my friend, and hope to see you in the coming months. Warmest regards, Bernard. Paris. Six months later. Monty Hogg strolled down a street in Saint-Germain-de-Prés, not minding where he was going, his eyes focused on the people streaming around him, 
a fashionable couple dressed in all black, a sullen man with a thick mustache sketching in a notebook, a mother and her two children. He had seen them almost every day he had been in Paris, and something about their presence kept him grounded, especially after all he had been through. He reached toward his pocket almost instinctively, and then, remembering that he no longer carried a notebook there, stopped and shuddered. His memories of that night often came back to him without warning, and it brought on waves of nausea every time. Monty took a deep breath and continued on his way, paying closer attention now to where he was going. He only looked up when he heard a shout, and saw two more faces that he had seen almost every day since he had been in Paris, and the two that kept him most grounded, those of his friends Francis Anderson and Donald Braith. The three of them continued to walk through the streets of Saint-Germain-des-Prés, heading nowhere in particular. Oh, eventually they'd make their way to Le Vougras, but for now they were simply content with meandering without any real destination. They all found themselves more content with the simple things these days, and today was a day to appreciate the simple things. As they turned a corner, they came face to face with a large poster that had been plastered to the side of a building. It was advertising a new theatrical performance, and as none of them had much interest in the theater, it took them a moment to really comprehend what they were seeing. But when they did, their peaceful day was shattered. They had thought it was all over, all in the past, but now they knew how wrong they had been. The poster showed a young woman in tattered yellow silk with long raven hair, and beneath her was the title of the production, Casilda. But drawn behind the woman and the title, behind the rest of the text on the poster, was an ominous palace. And even more ominous, above the palace, was a distinctly white sky dotted with black stars. This podcast was created using the Yellow King RPG by Pelgrane Press and is based on an adventure written by Sarah Saltiel called The Doors to Heaven, both used under the Palgrain Press Limited community use policy, along with music from the Yellow King Suite, written by James Semple. Our intro music was composed and produced by Jean-Luc Bouchard. You can find more information about the Nature of My Game podcast at NOMG Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, or at nomgpodcast.com.